We are changing gears this morning to a new sermon series since this is the first Sunday in the um, month of March, and we'll talk about prayer for the next at least month or so. But just real quickly as a reminder, we talked last week or last month about the storms that we have in our life from time to time. And so the first week we looked at the storm of depression. And we all go through difficulties from time to time. Uh, preachers are no exception to that. We're probably worse uh, to some degree. But depression is real. Uh, the second subject that we considered was that of anxiety. How the cares of the world and the, the things that we have going on can sometimes really impact our spiritual life. <coughs> Excuse me. And then last week, we talked about grief, didn't we? And that was a hard subject. It was hard for me to go through. It was hard for some of you to go through. But we looked at the five steps of grief and realized that uh, we all go through these, uh, but with God we can, we can make it. And so today we're going to switch gears and talk about prayer. Prayer is such a fantastic benefit that we as Christians enjoy, but we oftentimes do not take uh, advantage of this benefit the way that we should. <clears throat> and I'm losing my voice already, so Jason, if you have to come up here, I got my notes. All right. And so prayer is a benefit that we oftentimes don't take good benefit of but or take advantage of. But I want to see this morning, this morning is going to be more of a prerequisite, I guess you could say, to our sermon series of prayer. What I want to see this morning is the awesomeness of God and the depravity of man. And I do that to show to you why we need prayer. We need to realize that God is on a much higher level than you and I are, and there's no way that we can really approach God in the shape that we are in. And so this is more of a prerequisite to what uh, the sermon series is going to be like in the next month or so. And so this morning, I would like to first of all look at the awesomeness of God. Did you ever really consider who you are praying to? I think we sometimes just kind of flippantly pray, and we do not realize the awesomeness of God and who we are praying to. When I think of prayer, I think prayer as being a person that is on a lower statue talking to a person on a much higher level than they. And so we want, I want to turn, first of all, to uh, the book of 1 Kings, and I want to look at a throne that King Solomon sat upon just to kind of give you some idea of how it would have been for a young, or not young, but maybe a poor peasant to approach a throne or a king. And so 1 Kings chapter 10, Solomon is a great example of a person that had everything. He was extremely rich. He was extremely wealthy. He was the one that built the temple to God. He did it in a very short time of seven years. And then after that, he built his own house. He built other houses. In one of those houses, he had a throne in it. Well, I think it was Donald Trump had a throne. It was a golden toilet. But that doesn't quite measure up to what Solomon's throne was like. 1 Kings chapter 10 
And let's begin in verse number 18. It describes to us what Solomon's throne looked like. It says, Moreover, the king, Solomon, made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There was armrest on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. There were twelve lions that stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been done for any other kingdom. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Solomon's throne. It was a great chair made out of ivory. It was round on the back. It had armrests. And on each side of that chair was two large uh, statues of lions probably carved out of ivory and overlaid in pure gold and there were six steps that you had to uh, step on to get to the king and to approach him they also were made of ivory overlaid with gold and each step had two lions sitting on top of those steps and the tradition says that when a king was on his throne, and you wanted to go and to talk to him, and to approach him. The book of Esther kind of uh, describes this. You walked up those six steps of stairs, and then you laid yourself face down before the throne. And the king had a, what was it called a scepter, which was like a small uh, staff with a big knob on top. If he extended that scepter out to you, you could grab a hold of that, and that was him giving you permission to be able to talk to him. If he never did that, if he never extended that out to you, they would haul you off and take you away because the king doesn't want to talk to you today. So you can imagine being a poor peasant, a poor homeless person, and you want to go talk to the king, and you finally gather up enough courage to go to the king's house and to walk through that front door and to walk up those six steps. I just wonder what kind of courage that would have taken for a peasant to do something like that. But I give you that illustration to show you Really, that is how prayer is. Prayer is God, is the King of kings. That is prayer that we are talking to God, and we are nothing but poor, wretched peasants. We have no business going and approaching the throne of God, but God does allow us to do that, and we do it through prayer. There's only two or three times in the Bible that I could find where the throne of God is actually described in Scripture. It's nothing like we see here with King Solomon. But let's look at those two. Let's look at two places this morning so that we can get an idea of what God's throne looked like. Was it like King Solomon's, where it was ivory overlaid with gold? Was it steps that walked up to it? What exactly did God's throne look like? Well, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 1 to begin with. Ezekiel chapter 1, 
And again, Ezekiel is highly uh, prophetic book, and so this is trying to describe the throne in symbolic language, just like we're going to see in Revelation. But Ezekiel is trying to explain to us what the throne of God looks like. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse number 26. Really, the whole chapter really describes to us what heaven is like. Ezekiel describes to us these heavenly creatures. Isaiah calls them seraphims, and these seraphims had six wings. These seraphims had six so three sets of eyes so they can look in every direction. They could fly straight up. They could fly straight out. They didn't have to turn their head to look because they had eyes on every side and they could see everything. And then in verse number 26, he describes to us the throne of God. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the collar of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around it. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Wow. That's who we get to approach. Our king doesn't have a throne of ivory overlaid with gold with uh, lions on it. Our God made those things. And so Ezekiel is trying to describe to us the throne of God and, and how it is. And it, he says several times, it's like fire. There's been books written over the years about people who supposedly died and went to heaven. And I can't dispute it, but I question it sometimes. But it's always so peaceful. It's so quiet. It's so serene. Oh, just being in the presence of God is just, oh. Is that the way Ezekiel described it? Ezekiel described it like fire. From the waist up or from the waist down, it looked like fire all around. That's the throne that we approach when we pray to God. There was the appearance of a rainbow over top of the throne. Revelation also describes this throne. Revelation chapter 4, <clears throat> in verse number 1, starting. Revelation chapter 4. And he, uh, John describes the throne of God very similar to the way that Ezekiel does it back in Ezekiel chapter 1. So again, this is symbolic language. This is how they were able to describe it to us. But in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, John was able to get a glimpse of what heaven looked like, and here is how he describes it. After these things I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And in the first voice 
which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and the one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne was 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting and clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightning and thundering and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front as well as in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when the Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. That's John's description of heaven in God's throne. Again, he describes it not in so much of a peaceful, serene way, but he describes it as a place where thundering and lightning and voices come from. He describes it as a, a rainbow behind it. He describes it as fire burning. But again, that's the king, that's the throne that we get to approach as Christians. That's the awesomeness of God. But what about the depravity of man? What about man and, and the sin that we have found our sin ourselves in at one time or another? Well, Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6, Isaiah tells us that our righteousness in God's eyes isn't really much. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our righteousness, the things that we try to do, the, the prophet Isaiah said, they are just like filthy rags in God's eyes. Psalm chapter 14 and verse number 2 tells us that no one in God's eyes is good. That's the depravity of man. That's man. Don't, don't get at the idea, again, that we are born in sin or that you get the idea of what's called total depravity where we basically inherit Adam's sin. That's not true. We do not inherit sin. Ezekiel tells us that the son cannot inherit the sin from his father. 
But uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single adult that has ever lived, or I should say every single person above the age of accountability has sinned at some point, and we need a Savior. And so my question is, how can we as a sinful person ever approach the throne of God? And the answer is, we can't on our own. And so once we become a Christian, once we accept the salvation that God has offered through His Son, Jesus Christ, then we as Christians can approach the throne of God. But we do it through Jesus Christ. How can we, who are pitiful people, ever approach the awesomeness of God? The only reason that we can do that is through that man, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and in verse number 5. Paul says this to this young preacher. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is a mediator. That word mediator is the word go-between. And we talked about this book two or three weeks ago on Sunday night, and I just point out this, this uh, obvious thing that that mediator is not... Mary, that mediator is not an angel, that mediator is Jesus Christ and him alone. We can't pray to Mary and expect God to hear it. We can't pray to an angel and expect God to hear it. He won't because they are not our mediator. Jesus Christ is. There is one mediator between God and man. And that man is Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1 says that we have an advocate. And that's not a word that we typically use very often. But that word advocate just means, it's basically what a lawyer is today. A lawyer stands up on our behalf. And so 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1, John says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. That word advocate means intercessor. It is one who is called to aid someone else. The uh, Thayer's Dictionary put it this way. It is one who pleads another cause before a judge. That's what Jesus is for us. Jesus is our lawyer that stands up for us and says, God, listen, <coughs> this Christian has had my blood applied to their sins. This Christian is on our side, if you will. And so Jesus pleads on our behalf. And that's why, as we close this morning, we can read Hebrews chapter 4. 
and we can make this bold statement. Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 16. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 14 to get the whole context here. The writer of Hebrews says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but, as, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here it is, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come as Christians boldly before God's throne, and we can do that because Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is our intercessor. And to that I say, praise the Lord. And so Jesus made it possible for us to be able to talk to our God, to talk to our Father. Couldn't you imagine not being able to talk to your dad? Maybe your dad lives here and is still alive, and maybe he lives in Sydney, but your dad never calls you. Your dad never texts you. Your dad never has any communication with you. Not much of a relationship, is it? But that's not what God wants for you as a Christian. God wants to talk to you. God wants you to talk to him. God wants you to approach his throne. And it says here in verse 16 that it is a throne of grace. God wants to do that for us. And that's been made possible because of Jesus Christ. And so I preached this sermon just to kind of show to you that prayer is important. We have an awesome, we serve an awesome God. That we can talk to that awesome God. Unlike the religion of Islam where they cannot talk to Allah and when they get to their heaven they never have the opportunity to be on the same level as their God. But we have the hope today as Christians to be able to be in the presence of our God. We need to, we need to acknowledge who God is. That he is awesome and that he is powerful and that he is righteous. And so we need to address God in that way, don't we? You've probably heard people say before, well, God's the man upstairs. That drives me nuts. God is much more than that. God is awesome. God isn't Santa Claus where we simply ask him everything that we want to ask underneath the sun. It's our wish list. God is much more than that. God is much more than just some other God. God isn't just a higher power. He is the one and only Jehovah. And so that ought to really put a perspective when we go to him in prayer. And so I encourage you this month, as every Sunday we're going to be talking about prayer, I want you to pray for a certain family this week. Maybe look across the aisle. There's a lot more people on this side than there is on this side. But look across the aisle. Whoever you connect eyes with, pray for that family this week. I do that with my newlyweds. Whenever I 
Uh, we um, do marriage counseling, and the time is fast approaching, and it's the week before their great big wedding. I have them pray for each other. Pray for him that he'll be a great father. Pray for him that he'll be a great husband. Pray for her that she'll be a great mother. Pray for her that she'll be a fantastic spouse. And I pray for him too. That whole week we are praying for them. And so I encourage you this week, pray for your brother and sister. Find a family. You don't know what they're going through. They may have something in their life right now that they're struggling with, and you may not know that. You don't have to know that. Our Heavenly Father knows that. Pray for that family. This whole month we're going to be doing that, and so we'll be talking about prayer, and so I encourage you that we need to be a people of prayer. And once we understand the awesomeness of God, once we understand the kind of situation that we find ourselves in, I think we're going to understand how important prayer really is.